The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm number three, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. All right. We are in Joshua chapter 2 still. We're going to finish it up today. It is verses 12 through 24. It is entitled, According to Your Words, So Be It. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. When we were in Deuteronomy, we saw that the Lord told the people they were to exterminate every person in Canaan, letting no one survive. That was recorded in Deuteronomy 20. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. But even before that, this was recorded in Deuteronomy 7, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Without connecting the two, Adam Clark says the following. She, Rahav, had learned, either from the spies or otherwise, that all the inhabitants of the land were doomed to destruction, and therefore she obliges them to enter into a covenant with her for the preservation of herself and her household. He's right. 
That is exactly what will come about in the verses today. Even before Israel officially enters the land, this word of the Lord is going to be violated. Rahav, after all, is an inhabitant of the land, and an oath is made between the two men of Israel and her. Despite this, Rahav's life, faith, and actions are used to teach us truths in typology and pictures about the work of God in Christ. In the end, our disobedience and failings can be used by God to bring much glory to himself. This doesn't mean we should actively be disobedient in order for good to come about. Paul warns about such a perverse notion, but it does show the greatness of God that such things can and often do occur. Just look at what he did with Joseph's brothers selling him off to Egypt. Our text verse comes from Romans 7. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is good. It is we who are not. The law highlights that for us. What we need and what Rahab will find about, even before Israel does, is grace. And that comes when we demonstrate faith. Rahab did, and she is remembered for that almost 3,500 years later. Good stuff from God's precious word. Something else came out of the text, a definite chiastic structure. It's a little hard to see in the English translation, but it comes out clearly in the Hebrew. However, you will get the gist of it. Now, I like these chiasms for one reason in particular is because when I find one, I'm the first person in history to have seen this. Okay, I love that. And then, of course, we have Jody checking my sermon, so she's the second person in human history to see it. Or maybe the third because Sergio does have access into my computer and he goes spying around from time to time. So it may be that he saw it first too, but... This is a great thing that God gives us, is these chiasms. And so you're the first congregation to see this particular one. Joshua 2, 5 through 21, it's conditions or penalties. It's a lesson concerning faith. And this was found on Sermon Typing Day, 5, 16, 2022. First, A, then she let them down by a rope through the window. And later in the passage, A, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. B, and she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. And then B, and she sent them away and they departed. So you see the structures are matching. C, so the men said to her, we will be blameless. Naki of this oath, Shavuah, of which you have made us swear. Shavah. And then C, and if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free. Naki from your oath, Shavuah, which you made us swear, Shavah. Okay, then we get to D. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. That is a condition for safety. And then D again, we have, and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. There's a penalty for violation. Then we get to E. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home, that's a condition for safety. And then E, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. It's a penalty for violation. It's pretty wonderful to see and to find these for several reasons. One is that it helps you to figure out what a difficult passage is actually telling you. Another is that it lets you know that there is more than just a narrative being told, but there is a purposeful narrative with a set intent that is being conveyed. Also, things like this help solidify your faith in the fact that this really is God's word and that he really is relaying special and important information for us to consider. Great things like salvation by grace through faith and chiasms are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a few thoughts for you today. The first is the expectation, the scarlet. It's verses 12 through 24. Verse 12, now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, 
Rahav has shown kindness to the spies in hiding them from arrest. We saw that last week. But more, she has actually endangered her own life in the process. As such, she will ask for a return favor in both regards, saying, And now swear, I pray to me in Yehovah. Most translations say, swear to me by the Lord. The ISV is closer, saying, in the name of the Lord. This is the intent of saying, in Yehovah. His name stands for who he is. To swear in his name is to wholly identify with the name. For now, she says, verse 12 continues, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house. This is the anticipated exchange. She had helped them and spared their lives while risking her own. And so she is asking now that they will respond in kind in saying, my father's house, it implies everyone associated with it. All who stem from her father are to be included in the agreement. Before I go on, remember what was said in the law. You're not to make oaths with these people. All of them are to be destroyed. And yet they're going through with this. And so they're violating the law. We'll talk about that in a minute. In hopes of this, she says, verse 12 continues, and give me a true token. And give to me sign true. The word translated as token is ot. It signifies a sign coming from the verb ut, meaning to consent or to agree. It is something that stands for something else. If one swears a vow such as this, that stands for performance of the vow. Thus, the sign does not necessarily have to be something physical, as we would think of a token today. There is an agreement to be sworn in the name of Jehovah, which will stand as a sign between them. The substance of that oath is, verse 13, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. As noted, all that stems directly from her father is included in the request. The request is not unreasonable. As she saved two men of Israel, she essentially saved two households of Israel, even if only future to them now. We saw that they're young men. They may not even be married yet, but she is essentially saving two households. It is to be considered as having been delivered. Therefore, for her to ask for the household of her father is a just and reasonable request. The fulfillment of this will be seen in Joshua chapter 6. Here's what it says. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. Due to the reasonable nature of what has happened, they agree to the conditions. As noted in the analysis of Deuteronomy 20, and which I referred to in the sermon introduction, this is not at all in accord with the clear and the explicit command to destroy every single person. Nothing is said about agreeing to help someone who first helped an Israelite. The command is given without exception and was to be performed. Understanding this, and despite the good that resulted from the events that take place, one can see that even before Israel has entered the land, a violation of the law has taken place. This truly shows the nature of the law. It is a law of death. It was given to bring to an end those that were in Canaan. That is the Lord's prerogative, and it is to be obeyed. However, a violation of it means that the life promised for obedience cannot be obtained. In other words, it takes us right back to Leviticus 18, verse 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. The good intentions of these two men in making this agreement means that they have violated the precept. In violation of the precept, Paul's words of our text verse become clear. And the commandment? which was to bring life, I found to bring death. One can see how desperately Jesus is needed in our lives to remove from us the guilt of the law. Adam died in violation of the law, and all who followed after him died in Adam. The law of Moses only heaped up more sin upon the people, but this was given to hopefully lead them, as a tutor would, directly to the saving grace of Christ Jesus. 
As for the narrative now, verse 14. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. Nafshenu tachtechem lamut. Our soul under yours, plural, to die. The meaning of under is that which replaces. Something rises from under and replaces that which is above. They have agreed that if the soul of any of them is taken, that their own soul is to be forfeit. They will take the place of the one lost, as long as, verse 14 continues, if none of you tell this business of ours. If no you, plural again, disclose our word, this. By saying this in the plural, the onus is on Rahab to ensure that none of the family says a word. If the matter is disclosed by any, it negates the agreement for all, including her. The agreement is not for her to keep quiet that they are spying out the land. That is already known. The agreement is that this applies only to Rahav and her father's house. To share with others the sign of her protection, which will be mentioned in verse 18, would negate the oath. The agreement does not extend to any others. Further, the agreement will not apply to any of the family who are not brought into her house, as will be noted as well. Verse 14 continues, And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land. The words confirm that they are completely certain of the outcome. And it shall be in giving Jehovah to us the land. They are as certain it will happen as Rahab is. Rahab had heard and believed. The spies see and know. The only thing left was for time to catch up with the certain outcome. Once it does, the agreement is, verse 14 continues, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. The words are nouns, not adverbs, and the addressee is singular. That we have done with you, singular, kindness and truth. What is promised will be formalized with a state, not just actions, that will match the promises that have been made. The fulfillment of this is also recorded in Joshua 6, where it says, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Verse 15, and Then she let them down by a rope through the window. Well, she's no Rapunzel. Instead, it says, And she caused them to descend in the cord through the window. She could do this, verse 15 continues, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. The Hebrew reads, for her house inside the wall, and in the wall she dwelt. The meaning is probably that her house butted up to the wall with the back wall of the house being the city wall. From there, the top of the house would have extended above the wall where there was a window or that there was a window directly in the wall that could be blocked up during a siege. Either way, it will allow those inside to look out over the surrounding country. Being against the wall, it would make the climb down very easy for these men. This is similar to what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9, and which he refers to also in 2 Corinthians 11. Here's what it says, Acts 9, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Coincidentally, I typed um, verse 23 this morning in my Acts commentary. So there you go with that. And then from 2 Corinthians 11, in Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Verse 16, and she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. These words are not unimportant, and they are specifically included in what James finds noteworthy concerning her actions. Here's what James says. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Up until this point, she could have done all of this to simply not get killed by the spies. But these words completely destroy any notion of this. If she had feared for her life and wanted them to get caught, she would have sent them in the same direction as those sent to find them. 
It is true that she could still report them, saying that they were hiding in the mountain. However, they would have the advantage of seeing pursuers coming from their elevated position, and so that is not an acceptable notion. But more, anyone familiar with the area, as Sergio is, and he took me on a walk right there, can tell you that there are innumerable caves in the mountains. A resourceful person could hide there for months while remaining undetected. Without going into all of the detail that he would have been aware of, James is careful to note both her receiving of them and of her sending them out in another way. Remember that, Sergio? Cave after cave after cave all over those mountains, everywhere. Her actions are based on her faith, and her words to the men are words of faith in the promises and integrity of the men as well as in the capabilities of the Lord. Verse 16 continues, Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Here is a new word, chava, to hide or conceal. It is from chavav, meaning to love. The connection is that just as one hides his love in the heart or secrets away his love, so a person will hide himself or another for protection. As for hiding three days, this might mean traveling at night to the mountains, staying for two days or so, and then leaving on the third night to avoid anyone seeing them. Jericho is not a full day walk to the Jordan. But going to it, searching the fords in the immediate area, and then returning from it would take a good two days or so. Therefore, this would explain her recommendation. Verse 17, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. The Hebrew here seems incomplete. A lot of people debate what is being said. Nekiim anachnu mishvuatech hazeh asher hishpatanu. Blameless we from oath yours, thee this, which you made us swear. As it is written, it appears that they are claiming that they are acquitted of any guilt that arises. As such, translators add the word unless into the next verse. The Geneva Bible says, we will be released from our oath if you perform this condition that follows, for so shall you and yours be delivered. But it doesn't say that. It simply says, we are blameless from this oath of yours, which you made us swear. That's all it says in the Hebrew. My guess is that they are indicating that to them, it is as if a done deal. They will perform and be blameless. The conditions are up to Rahav and her family to meet. But as for them, they will fulfill what they agreed to. Verse 18, unless, which is not in the Hebrew, when we come into the land. Hine. Behold, we come in the land. It is not a conditional unless. Rather, it is a statement of fact. They are avowing that it will come to pass. As this is the case, verse 18 continues. You bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. This is the first condition of safety. It is not the same cord by which they scaled down the wall. Et tikvat chut hashani hazeh expectation thread the scarlet the this you bind in the window which you caused us to descend there is a new noun here tikva translated by almost everyone as line or cord it signifies expectancy hope or a thing longed for coming from the verb kava which means to wait for the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and two Catholic Bibles translate the clause using the word sign. That is probably closer to the intent than the word cord. The idea is that the expectancy is to see it, the expectation. If it is not in the window, there is nothing to identify them. Hence, there is no protection to be given to them. Also, verse 18 continues, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household to your own home. The second condition for safety. Again, the word unless is not in the Hebrew in these words. The directions simply continue on, and you bring into your home. Just as if there is no scarlet thread to identify the house, there is no way to identify anyone who should be in the house, but who is not. Verse 19, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. 
and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. The instructions here are so similar to the Passover that it is hard not to call them to remembrance. Exodus 12, now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And again from Exodus 12, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, think of the scarlet thread, and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Those inside where the blood has been applied are under protection. Those who are not inside are not protected. Whether the blood of the Passover or the crimson colored thread now, either is that which identifies the where and for whom it is so. Verse 20, and if you tell this business of ours, it is the third condition for safety. Ve'im tagidi et And if you, singular, disclose our word this, just as if there is no scarlet thread to identify the house, and just as if anyone is not safely in the house, so Rahav is not to tell the matter to anyone else. Notice the difference between the words of verse 14 and the words of this verse. Verse 14, im lo tagidu et if no you, plural, disclose our word, this. And then verse 20, ve'im tagidi et And if you, singular, disclose our word, this. Verse 14 was dealing with the lives of these two men in relation to the lives of those who don't disclose the situation. Now verse 20 is dealing with the oath which Rahav made. In both instances, it is up to Rahav to ensure that either her father's family remains silent or that she personally remains silent. If she doesn't, verse 20, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. And we become blameless from oath yours which you made us swear. Three conditions set forth must be met. If they are not, then the two men will be blameless in regard to the oath she made them swear. Again, see the difference between this verse and verse 17. I'll just read the English. Blameless we from oath yours, thee this, which you made us swear. And then, and we become blameless from oath yours, which you made us swear. They say that they are blameless before the oath she made them swear. They will uphold their part of the bargain. But that is conditional upon her complying with her part of the bargain. Anybody seeing what's going on here? If she performs, they will be blameless before the oath she made them swear. In other words, be like us and perform what you are to do. We are blameless, and if you don't do what you are to do, we will be blameless. Jericho will be destroyed either way, and her betrayal of the spies would not stop that. However, her betrayal of them might destroy them, but it would also remove any chance of protection for her. Doing what they have put forth is her only chance of salvation. As such, she chooses wisely. Verse 21, then she said, according to your words, so be it. Her words bear emphasis. Vatomer ki devrichem ken hu. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Exactly as they have said, so shall it be. Her life depends on what has been said, and she will follow through accordingly. Verse 21 continues, and she sent them away, and they departed. It is the final act of what has already been stated. She directed them to the mountain to stay there for three days. As we saw, that is what Jane said was an act of justifying work. It being an act of faith can be reckoned as such. Next, in an act of hope, it says, verse 21 continues, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And she bound the expectation, the scarlet, in the window. This could have happened at any time, from immediately even to right up until the last moment before Israel arrived to begin their short siege. 
One would think that she did it right then as the two men were watching. They would see that she complied, they would remember the location and how it was displayed, and it would be a reminder to her to stay the course because deliverance was on the way. Verse 22, they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. They put faith in Rahav's words and followed through with what she had said. While the pursuers were chasing the wind, these two were safely in the mountains, probably in a nice cool cave. They obviously had provision to accomplish their task, and it would have been a quiet time. And more, the term three days can signify any part of three days being considered as a three-day period. Regardless of the exact hours they spent there, they avoided the pursuers and then headed back to make their report. Verse 23, so the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. Without giving any specifics, any time of day, or which day it is, a good guess is that this occurred in the early morning. It would be cooler, they could get by Jericho without notice, and they could then ford the river in some manner. By the time they did, it would be light enough to do so without any danger at all. And from there, they headed directly to the boss. Verse 23 continues, And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. The word safar is used. It means to recount. They went through all of the details of their expedition, recounting each thing that was of note. That is especially so with the main point. Verse 24, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. This goes back to the words of Rahab from verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. It was perfectly evident that if a prostitute that lived on the wall of a city knew this, it was common knowledge to all of the people. The fact that the pursuers were sent out after them only confirmed this. They would not bother with passing strangers unless there was a great reason to do so. With that understood, verse 24 finishes our verses today, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And also have melted all dwelling the land from our presence. It is practically a repeat of the words of Rahav in verse 9. The God who had executed great judgments upon Egypt and who had parted the Red Sea was just now across the Jordan with his people. And it is the same people who had crushed both Sihon and Og in the land which they were now located. It was perfectly understood that there was no hope if the Lord determined to disinherit them from the land. It was sure to come to pass. Now, before we go on, I was thinking about Rahab over this past week, and there's always been this speculation that, that uh, Ruth is the woman that was mentioned in Proverbs 31, the wife of honorable character. And I would think more likely it was Rahav. What did she have on her roof? Flax. She's working with the spindle and the distaff, exactly as it says there. She was a woman of honorable character, even though she was a prostitute. I would think that it was probably her that Solomon was thinking of when he wrote the words about his great, 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 great grandmother. Didn't, I don't know if that's true, but that's my thought on it. Didn't one of the uh, Jews take her as a wife? Yes, she's in the line of Jesus, and she's an ancestor of Solomon. So that was another offense. Absolutely. Yes, it was. It was another offense. They should have been not allowed into the congregation, and they did, but it shows the great mercy of God. Yep. If you are told there is something that you need to do, do you take that as meaning this is a work? Or is it just a condition to find out about you? Is what I am asking only a linguistic quirk? Yes, there are things we must do to be saved, but that doesn't mean our salvation is earned. Rather, the Lord sets the conditions for the path he has paved. The difference is something that must be learned. Faith is not a work. It is obedience to the call. We are to believe the gospel we have heard. It is the path to salvation for one and for all. God sets the parameters. So believe on his word. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. I would suggest that Joshua 2 anticipates the work of Christ. It is a typological and anticipatory look into how his work will accomplish salvation for Israel and how his word details that. 
The chapter begins with these words. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land and especially Jericho. As we already know, Joshua means the Lord is salvation. He anticipates Jesus, who is the Lord and who is salvation. Joshua's father's name being included anticipates Christ also. Nun is from the verb nun, meaning to propagate or increase. This is what Christ would do, increasing the family of God through his completed work. The number two in scripture signifies that there is a difference. As such, it signifies division or difference. I would suggest that these two then represent the two testaments of scripture. In them, there is a contrast, and yet they confirm the whole word of God. Israel has not yet entered the promise, and they cannot without faith in Christ. They picture the people of Israel who have not yet received him in our world today, meaning the people over in the land of Israel right now. The place the men depart from is the Shittim, or the Acacia Grove. That is derived from Shotet, meaning a scourge. That word is used only once in the Bible. It's found in Joshua 23, where it says, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges, shotet, on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. As such, this place is a place of scourges. This was certainly seen in Numbers 25, where this place was first mentioned. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. It is also true that the law itself can be equated to scourges simply because by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Joshua 23, the people of Canaan are equated to scourges who would afflict Israel. Thus, the scourges are that which draw the people away from faith in the Lord and to that which is false. However, that can be avoided or overcome. The two men are to go into Canaan, typical of the spiritual state which is found in Christ. The goal is Jericho, the place of fragrance, typical of heaven or a return to that which was lost at the fall. Immediately, still in verse 1, Rahav is introduced. Her name means spacious. She is given to demonstrate salvation in Christ. He is the narrow path that leads to the broad places of heaven. She has invited the two to lodge, but then she is told to bring them out. She has the key to understanding the Lord in both testaments of the word. When she is told to bring them out, thus giving them up, if you remember, it curiously said in the singular, and took the woman to the men and hid him. Being in the singular, it would indicate one word, even if two testaments. She has secreted the whole counsel of God away. While the enemy is out chasing after these two and not finding anything, she is safely keeping them. And not only that, it says that she caused them to ascend to the gog, or roof. That comes from ga'a, meaning exalted or majestic. She has placed the word, the two testaments, in the exalted place in her home, among the stalks of flax that she had there. Flax is the basis of linen, a covering that depicts righteousness. This speaks of her tending to the word of God, exalting it in order to seek and find righteousness. Meanwhile, the enemy pursues these two all the way to the Jordan upon the fords. The Jordan, the descender, pictures Christ Jesus. But without the word, they will find nothing. Mankind can only come to Christ through his word, which tells of him. There is no crossing over except through the one Christ and through his one gospel. While they're out pursuing, the two men are on the roof. Rahav ascended to them and showed her faith in the Lord, saying that she knows that he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. With that, she asked for kindness to be shown to her father's house by sparing it. The two men agree. If she is faithful to the conditions, according to their word, they offer their lives in exchange. The token, the sign, is their word that it will be so. The word of God is sure. It is a sign of the truth of God. It testifies to his faithfulness. With that, 
she lets them down by a cord. The word signifies to bind tightly, coming from a word meaning to pledge. She has accepted their word as the pledge of truthfulness. After that, the two state that they are blameless of the oath which she made them swear. The word of God cannot fail. It is blameless. What it proclaims is absolutely certain. Their word to her is expectation, thread the scarlet, thee this, you bind in the window, which you caused us to descend. It is the crimson thread that runs throughout scripture and that which testifies to Jesus Christ. It is a typological picture that salvation comes through his blood. Any who are willing to hide themselves with this protective mark will be saved, just as was the case with the Passover. Destruction is inevitable, but salvation can be obtained for those who accept the conditions. This is exactly how it is for salvation in Jesus Christ. The proposition is set forth, certain conditions must be met, and when they are, salvation is obtained. But I got to tell you, destruction is coming on the world one way or another, right? As we saw in the previous sermon, the conditions are stated by Jesus himself. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. The scarlet thread is given in typology of that faith in Christ. The two testaments testify to this, and nothing else will do. If you think about it, Israel has not yet crossed through the Jordan, a picture of Christ, and thus they are not yet saved. However, Rahab is, even if it has not yet come about. She put the cord up and awaited in hope of the deliverance that was promised to her. She was a Gentile sinner, and yet she obtained the promise before the people who were given the promise in the first place. Jay walked up to me before the sermon and he said, look at Romans 11. It says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That's what she's picturing right now. Israel, the people of Israel are being pictured by the people on the other side of the Jordan. They're not yet saved and yet the Gentiles have already gone to the spacious place, Rahav. Her name reflects her state. She obtained the broad places of heaven through her acts of faith. Her statement to them was, And she said, According to your words, so it. That is what God expects of us. His word is written. It is laid out in two testaments, and they together form a unified whole that testifies to the workings of God in Christ. When we accept the conditions and apply faith as instructed, salvation is realized. In her life profession while in Jericho, she was not morally inferior to those around her. Rather, it is just the opposite. She may have been a prostitute, but she had higher morals than all of them. She was willing to humble her heart before the Lord. She exalted those who came to her, and she was obedient to their word. This is not unlike those of Israel who are considered the dregs of society, but who Jesus said would enter the kingdom of God before those who were supposedly righteous. They accepted the message of John, they looked for the Messiah of whom he spoke, and they accepted him for who he is. Israel is given an example of this in their own history, even before they enter through the Jordan. In fact, this is the last main message given to them before Joshua musters them and gets them ready to enter Canaan. Israel of today must learn this. It is only by faith in Christ that the inheritance can be obtained. Moses, the law, died outside of Canaan. A harlot who simply trusted in the word of the Lord will be exalted within the borders of Canaan, even to becoming an ancestor of the Savior, whom the actions of her life anticipate. What an amazing thing to consider. Everybody got the picture? It's very clear what was going on in there. The sudden change from the plural to the singular last week and the things that we saw today, everything is picturing that God expects us to be obedient to his word, to follow what the word says, two testaments, all with the same unified message that proclaim Jesus Christ. And when we do, we put out the scarlet cord saying, I accept the blood of Jesus Christ and we are saved. And it is a done deal. We are blameless from this oath. It doesn't say unless at all. The word of God is blameless in our salvation. 
It proclaims, and if we believe it, it is done. Anybody that tells you that you can lose your salvation does not understand proper theology. I'm sorry to tell you that. It is done. They will perform. The two testaments will perform. This is what we're being shown in this today, is that the Gentiles have come into the inheritance even prior to Israel accepting their Messiah and accepting entrance into the inheritance. 2,000 years it's been going on now. Well, in the next few chapters, you're going to see that eventually that's going to come to an end. Israel is going to enter the inheritance. Get ready for those sermons. And what does this tell us? It tells us that we need Jesus. So my appeal to you today would be for you to call on Jesus. It's very simple. Believe that he died for your sins, meaning you're a sinner. Believe that he was buried, meaning he was really dead because of your sins, and that he rose again, meaning that he had no sin of his own. He is God incarnate. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That would be inclusive of Jesus if he was not God, and therefore he is God. Trust in that fact that Christ came into the world to pay your sin debt. I would ask you to do that today. Our closing verse comes from Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Next week, Joshua 3, 1 through 13. To do it, they won't need a Land Rover. But it would be fun. It's entitled, And the People Crossed Over. Part one. That'll be our fifth Joshua sermon. Thank you, Jay. The Lord, he's been practicing that all week long. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I did. I emailed Jay early in the week. And I said, Jay, I, I'm a little late telling you this, but we have a, a job for you to do. And it happened to be on the uh, verse that I submitted that day was, Saul, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And Jay came back and he says, I'm not kicking against the goats. I'll be practicing. <laughs> okay, I got a poem for you. But before I do, I've got a question for you. The book of Obadiah, smallest book in the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah focuses on what people group? On what? What people group? Oh. What did she say? The Obadiahs. <laughs> the Obadiahs. No, not the Obadiahs. I'll give you a hint. Obadiah is like Obed, okay? No, not the Midianites. Edom. I can't believe nobody got that. The Edomites. The, it opens with the words, the judgment against Edom or something like that. And not the Obadites. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm taking points away from you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put like a battle mark on this thing. I, okay, here we got a poem for you. It's according to your words, so be it. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, so your vow you cannot douse. Since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. And give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters too, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. This I beg of you. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, so you shall not do. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, so out the window they did go. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. So she did say, Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, and we find it there the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers too, and all your father's household to your own home, this is what we require of you. 
So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless when his death he does meet. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him there. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. She was no longer fearful or faint-hearted. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. They sought them all along the way, but did not find them, and the matter was adjourned. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over as well. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told them all that had to them befell. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, triple A and plus, plus, plus. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Okay, I'll get the button push and we'll get Sergio up here in a second. I... uh, uh, started out the day having the single worst day of my life, maybe. I was just beside myself. I got up, and everything I touched and everything I did was messed up. Everything. And so I uh, got to uh, Publix, and I said to the lady at Publix, I said, I'm so happy to be leaving Publix. Everything is going to go well now. I got to church, and I realized I had forgotten something that I needed at Publix. So I had to go back. And I said, oh, I just, I'm beside myself. You know what? Doing an update and a sermon has just got me right back on track. I feel so much better. Oh, thank God for God's word. I got to tell you. Okay, here we go. We're going to go to uh, communion. All right, here we go. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to share in the Lord's Supper, to take it and partake of it, and uh, to be in the fellowship of believers, honoring the Lord who came and who is coming again. Thank you for what this signifies in our lives. Thank you for Sergio who gives it to us each week now. We're very happy. Many, many people are happy with his presentation. So we're thankful about that, Lord. And uh, we just love you. We praise you and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.